Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. Now, as an HR professional, you probably have realized that your state conference, your local chapter meetings, a lot of them have either been postponed, canceled, or they've been moved to virtual. And now you're suddenly realizing, wow, I've got to get my research credits done. Fortunately, we can help. Check us out at bossbuildersuniversity.com and you will see we have some already pre-approved for HRCI and SHRM credit webinars available for download. Check us out today at bossbuildersuniversity.com. You know, right now we are facing a pandemic. That's been the subject of most of our episodes this year. And now, and we'll timestamp this a little bit, we're in August of 2020, schools are going back in session in some cases and some companies are bringing people back to work. With that comes fear, uncertainty, and anxiety. Fortunately, we have someone on the show today that is going to help us think through those challenges, especially if you consider yourself a leader. How do I help my people better adapt to getting back to the workforce? Natasha Fletcher is a therapist that specializes in anxiety treatment. She's super interesting, gives you very practical tips. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So let's quit talking about Natasha. Let's talk to her. Please welcome my special guest, Natasha Fletcher. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Natasha Fletcher, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mac. I'm so excited to be here today. It's great having you. And just from the sound of your accent, I suspect you might be from the UK. Did I get that correct? I certainly am, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So some accents I can pick out, other ones are pretty tough, but I'm really glad that we're on today. The topic is going to be around anxiety, and we are in a time and a place where that's a pretty rampant thing, and so I've got some questions I want to ask you about, particularly as we here in the U.S. are still struggling with COVID, but some companies and schools are now making the transition back to physical work, so we want to talk about that. But before we do that, Natasha, I was hoping you could share something about your background with us. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Yes, so I'm a psychotherapist specializing in anxiety and trauma recovery. Um, so I've been working in this arena probably for, gosh, around 15, about 15 years now. Um, and I came to specialize in anxiety and trauma after I um, started working for a, a specialist trauma center, really. Um, it's called the Center for Trauma Resilience and Growth here in the UK. Um, and here I was kind of mentored by some of the um, UK's most famous trauma specialists. And I just absolutely loved the work. I was really interested in what was happening there. And I've been doing that ever since. So when you say trauma, what is that? It is, I mean, trauma could mean a hundred different things. But what are some typical traumatic events that you would help people through? Well, I think kind of the concept of trauma is changing across the world, really, at the moment. It's a really big time for trauma. Um, so trauma comes in, well, there's PTSD, which is what we understand trauma typically to be. So things like having been in war, 
things like um, road traffic accidents, um, kind of what we call large single incident traumas, things like that. Um, but I okay. think more and more we're recognising those smaller things in life and the repetition of those smaller things, such as, for example, bullying or uh, maybe neglectful parenting, things like that, are bec- you know, they're becoming more and more recognised in the trauma literature and in trauma therapy. So a really exciting time for um, psychological trauma treatment at the minute. Seems like if you can name a thing, then you can address it. So PTSD is a term that we're more familiar with now. And maybe I'm thinking back here in the U.S., you know, uh, post-Vietnam War, I don't think people talked about it as PTSD. And then in World War II, it was shell shock. But it's being seen now, it seems to me, as like a legitimate psychological concern that people are now addressing with resources, uh, which thankfully, because I can just imagine how tough it would be if something wasn't right and you couldn't figure out what it was. Absolutely. And you're, you're absolutely right there talking about how the concept of PTSD very much came out of um, World War One, World War II, um, kind of the military really brought about this idea of PTSD. But we're starting to recognize the similar symptoms in a lot of other traumas like civilian type traumas now. So with PTSD, and I know I'm taking you off a little bit, but I'm just kind of curious. So is that where you have events that are traumatic in your own mind enough times that that puts you on a heightened sense of awareness? Is, does that, am I kind of close to it or am I just completely off? No, no, absolutely. Um, so when we experience something traumatic, we store that memory in a different way to how we might store ordinary everyday memories so when we experience something um not traumatic in life we experience it um obviously through all of our senses and we process that in the brain so we kind of store it almost um in a narrative way so we can understand well this happened i did this then this happened and then i thought this so in a very narrative way but when we experience something traumatic our body's primary concern is to kind of get us through that moment so it shuts down different parts of the brain so we can't store that memory in the same way quite often it's stored in um, overwhelming emotions Um, it gets stored quite often in what we call like a non-verbal way so it gets stored in the body as physical sensations and overwhelming emotions and the physical sensations switch on our nervous system So I think most people have heard about fight or flight or freeze responses these days. Um, Mm -hmm. And our nervous system can get stuck in that sometimes. So, yeah, you're absolutely right that we can experience then a heightened sense of stress, anxiety, and almost as though our nervous system switched on all the time, which is very similar to what then happens with anxiety disorders, which is why the two are so closely paired quite often. I always wondered about that, and I'm glad you kind of confirmed it. For a long time, we lived in the northeast of the United States, which is near the Washington, D.C. area, which the traffic is just legendarily horrific. Mm. And so you're commuting in this for an hour and a half each way, and people are horrible drivers, and it's backed up. And so I would always see on weekends, and I would feel it myself, you get on the roads and there's hardly anybody on them because it... but still feel this tension like you want to that's where road rage builds from but even without the traffic it's almost like you're expecting it so and i and i mentioned that to somebody once is that no you can't equate traffic with ptsd but i thought 
No, because I truly feel stressed out, even on a Sunday morning when there's not a lot of cars, like I'm going to wait for him to come and cut me off and there'll be problems. It's a very similar physiological process. Absolutely. Okay. Well, another reason why people should just take the bus, huh? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do want to talk about anxiety. And so before I ask you about what we are experiencing here in the U.S., could you give us a definition for anxiety? Um, Well, people experience anxiety in a lot of different ways, but I think it's really important to say that it's a natural response to stressful experiences. So it's a feeling of fear or apprehension about maybe what's to come. It's very normal to experience anxiety. Of course, we're, um, you know, anxiety drives us in a lot of positive ways. If we've got, say, a job interview coming up or something that we need to really kind of be ready for, anxiety drives us to prepare for that. But I think sometimes then anxiety can slip over into what we call a disorder when it's interfering in your life in a big way. So it's not helping you anymore. It's actually hindering you in your life. So you're consistently overthinking, consistently worried, your nervous system's always turned on, um, or you start having things like panic attacks. So, and I know this is probably a tough question, how long does it take to go from normal, natural response anxiety to the dysfunctional, the disorder? Is there a kind of a timetable or does it depend on the person? It completely depends on the person and the circumstances, really. So, um, what can start off as just some appropriate anxiety to a difficult situation. If someone gets stuck in patterns of overthinking, over worrying, um, then it can tip over, but there's no time frame necessarily. Um, what I do know as a professional is that quite often people leave it a long time before they do seek help. Um, they try and, I say, press snooze on all the warning signs so they just think it'll be okay tomorrow, or they try self-medicating. They cover it up, they hide it from people quite often. And we do know that that doesn't help. That actually makes it worse in the long run. So in answer to your question, there's no time frame um, necessarily. It's all dependent. But I always say to people, the sooner you can get help and you can recognize it, the better. And what does that kind of help look like? Is it medication? Is it counseling? Is it a combination? What is a kind of a normal treatment regimen for the disorder version of anxiety? Well, there's lots of different types of anxiety disorder as classified um, by the World Health Organization. Um so it's it's difficult to say because there's different treatments that work better for different types of anxiety. Um, but generally speaking, um, if you go to, say, your um, general practitioner or you go to a therapist, um, they might advocate. So usually the people that do best are those people that combine medication and therapy together. But from my personal experience, a lot of people don't really want to take medication in this day and age. You know, they really want to pursue therapy or self-help in the first instance so my advice would always be to someone just get help speak to a professional speak to someone kind of get it off your chest at the very least get some advice um and go from there there's always going to be something that might be able to help you at least that's great well we're going to date stamp and time stamp this episode and so it is the last week of august 2020 which has turned out to be a a year nobody could have really predicted and i don't know how much you watch news from the u.s but right now we are getting ready to 
move back into school and work. So a few companies are beginning to make the transition back to a physical office. The real challenge, I think, is schools now. I think a lot of parents are ready for their kids. When our kids were little, I couldn't wait for August, September to get the kids back in school and into a routine. But right now, that's it's in some counties, it's on hold. Some universities are going to virtual. My wife is an adjunct professor, and she's sort of teetering between we're teaching online and we're teaching on ground. And there's a lot of transition. There's a ton of uncertainty. Uh, You get conflicting information from doctors, politicians, and no one really knows what the hell's going on. And is that the situation in the UK or are we just way out of it? No, no. I think I have to say that's a very similar situation to where we are in the UK, actually. So um, we're just starting to come out of lockdown now. Um, It's actually the summer holidays here for children but they're talking about trying to open up the schools in the next kind of couple of months, really. Um, social distancing is still in place here and face coverings are compulsory for supermarkets, public transport um, and indoor events. So a very similar situation here. Um, I don't know about what's happening over there with lockdown in the US, but here we're looking at what we call local lockdowns. So when parts of the country see a spike in deaths or cases of COVID, um, just that local area is being locked down without the rest of the country having to be locked down also. What is the attitude in the UK toward wearing masks? Um, I would say by and large, most people are complying with wearing masks. Um, There is a bit of a split between people who think that they are helpful, people who think that they are perhaps not so helpful and are, for want of a better word, overkill um, by the government. But by and large, people are wearing them. From what I see on the news, I think over in the US, people are a little bit more vocal when they disagree with wearing them. But I don't think there's been many cases of that here in the UK. Well, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. If you go back 230 years of our history, you know, America was built by people who got sick and tired of following rules. Mm. So I guess that's sort of in our DNA. But here, in, and where I live down here in the South, if you wear a mask, you're not supporting your president. And in some cases, there's people that resort to violence. Because, you know, here in the US, everybody carries guns, right? At least I think that's what most other countries think, but uh, it, it can get quite violent. So all of that tension is what I think is causing a lot of folks to be experiencing anxiety. And there's this push like, let's get back to normal. Let's get our businesses running and our schools back in session. And so what we're struggling with now is this anxiety about going back to work. There's people who are content working virtually Uh, My mom is in the category where she hates working virtually. She can't wait to go back in the office, but she's 85 and she's, you know, at risk. So from where you sit, what are some of the concerns that people are wrestling with as they are forced to make choices about work? Is that something you guys are experiencing over there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, not just in the clients that I see, but I'm also seeing that in friends, family and colleagues. Um, so it's really only just been at the beginning of this month. So the, um, I think it was the 1st of August that here in the UK, employees were, uh, non-essential employees, were encouraged to start to return into their workplace. So it's only been a couple of weeks since people have started returning. Um, and a lot of people out there, I think, don't feel ready just yet or they don't feel safe rejoining the face-to-face workplace or 
They're just more concerned about using overcrowded transport. I think the main thing is the uncertainty, and you definitely touched on it there. No one knows what's going on. No one knows what's happening. It sounds as though you're in a similar position there as we are here, which is the guidelines constantly change. They're changing, it seems like, every day, really, what we can do, what we can't do, what we should do. Um, So it's a very uncertain and confusing time, really, for people. And I think that's the main thing, the confusion. Let's talk about individuals first. So for somebody who is listening to us today and they have been told by their boss that, hey, starting next week, we need you back in the office. We may do a few days virtual, a few days live, but we need you back. And they're struggling. From where you sit as a professional, Natasha, who deals with this, what recommendations would you make for somebody who got that news and is not excited about it? I think that's a difficult question because it's all going to depend on individuals. But I think there's a couple of things really that I would encourage people to do. So I think the first thing really is just take some time to start getting back into a normal workday routine. Um, So when we work from home or we've been furloughed um, and then plus the lockdown, it's meant that a lot of us have slipped out of like regular working schedules and, and sleep patterns quite often for a lot of people. So I would always say, you know, just make sure you give yourself some time to adapt to returning. Um, I recommend something called like just a little visualization exercise um, for people to prepare themselves for their first day back. Um, So really, that's just where they close their eyes and just envision their working day. Start with the commute, kind of see yourself at your workplace, easily managing your duties whilst maintaining safe working practices and just kind of move through the day and visualize yourself going through the day. And that mental rehearsal can help you just feel a little bit more prepared for going back to work. So I think that's really important, just taking some time to get back into the workday routine. Um, Another thing I always say to people really is just be kind to yourself as well. Focus on increasing that self-care. You know, don't abandon your self-care routines because you've got work to do when you're kind of back into the swing of things at work. Just really consider what you need to feel okay, to feel good exercises like deep breathing, things like that could be really, really helpful for people. When you're doing the visualization, because I think it might be possible that you would visualize what you're afraid of. Like if you're afraid of snakes and you say, I want to visualize me walking out in my pasture, I mean, you're going to see a snake. So would you have a person visualize worst case scenario or would they go back to what things were like before COVID? How would you kind of encourage them? I'd say for for this kind of exercise, it's best to visualize things going well and kind of mentally mentally set yourself up for success in a lot of ways. So, um, for example, if you were an athlete, you wouldn't um, visualize yourself losing a race or visualize yourself losing a sports event. I would say for this exercise, definitely visualize things going well, visualize yourself having a good day, having a great commute, being able to do all of the things that you need to do whilst at the same time maintaining that social distancing, whilst at the same time looking after your health, taking care of your mental health and your physical health. So keep it positive, keep it super positive, and uh, you won't go wrong with that. Okay, great. Well, my last question then is really for the audience who's probably tuned into this podcast, which is either HR professionals or people who are in management. And in, in both cases, some of the responsibility of returning to work is going to fall on those two groups. What would you recommend for people who are actually in management or HR to do to prepare 
the workplace and prepare the people for this transition back to whatever normal is going to look like. Okay. So um, I do know that a lot of your listeners are professionals and I assume that by the very nature of them tuning into this podcast, you know, they care a lot about staff well-being. Um, they care about, they understand that keeping their staff happy and helping their staff kind of leads to more productive workplace, really. So I'm not going to teach anyone how to suck eggs or anything like that. I'm not going to, you know, say, you know, you must share accurate and timely information and things like that. I'm sure people are already doing that. So I just kind of wanted to share some things from a bit of a therapist perspective, if that's all right. Yes, please. So I guess the first thing is um, don't always assume that you know the reasons why someone might be struggling. I think it's really, really easy for us all to assume that the things around the pandemic, so the pandemic, is what is affecting people if they're struggling and their return to work. But that's not always the case. So at the moment, I'm seeing a lady who is really, really struggling with wearing a mask in the workplace because it actually reminds her of a time many years ago when she was actually sexually assaulted. And during that time, like a piece of fabric was placed over her mouth. Um, Now, this was many, many years ago. She felt that she'd put that behind her. She had no reason to confide that in her friends, to her colleagues. But all of a sudden, that's brought this back up for her. So I would always say to people, you know, a lot of people have traumas in their past. A lot of people have things in their past that we might not necessarily know about. So if people do seem to be struggling, maybe just take a little bit of extra time with that person. Don't assume that you know what's happening for them, but give them a little bit of time. So, you know, traumas might be getting re-triggered for them. And if the usual things that you would put in place aren't helping, maybe consider that they've got something else underlying, something on their plate. Offer them whatever flexibility you can. Cut them some slack if you can. If they can confide in you, all the better. But just be aware there might be something else going on. Um, And I I guess the second thing really is, and I speak as someone that was a healthcare manager in the past, is that when something like this pandemic happens, something unexpected and something uncertain, we often feel the need, I think, to provide even more answers and even clearer answers to our employees. So, and I also know from experience, and I don't know if anyone else can relate, but that often like employees will try and push you to give examples of what should happen or what they should do, even in like the most obscure of situations sometimes. Um, And then you find yourself in this battle of employee versus managers or employee versus HR. And they're saying, oh, you know, we need more guidance and you can't give them any more guidance because it's not come down yet from whatever department it needs to come from. Um, but from an evolutionary perspective, really, it's, it's just because the human mind kind of falsely believes that we can think a way out of a period of uncertainty. And we become convinced that by understanding the source of it, we can somehow put rules and regulations and plans and things in place to fix it. But it doesn't always work that way. But overanalyzing things actually sometimes makes matters worse. It's a little bit like throwing water on a grease fire in the hope of putting it out overthinking doesn't necessarily get us out of an uncertain situation so we need to just understand that during these periods it's just our brain defaults to survival mode and these heightened levels of uncertainty and angst kind of they trigger a part of our brain called the amygdala which in turn reacts in one of two ways so it puts on the fight or flight system for us and one way that we try and escape that kind of anxiety and that uncertainty is by thinking that we can think our way through it. But really what we need to do is start just accepting that 
this is a period of uncertainty. And as managers or HR professionals, we can't necessarily think a way out of this or provide endless guidelines. We need to accept in some ways that it is an uncertain time and we're not necessarily going to have all the answers. But also with that brings a great time, you know, for us to forge a new way of working, to engage the workforce, to talk to them about what work might look like in the future. It sounds like you're reframing it into opportunity versus what our current reality might be. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Natasha, I'm going to ask you a very personal question here. And you, <laughs> personally, you can tell me to be quiet, but I'm asking it kind of on behalf of people who are going to have to guide others through a challenging time. How do you refresh? How do you keep your batteries charged when it seems like a lot of your work is helping others get through trauma and anxiety? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, the the work that I do sometimes can be quite emotionally, psychologically heavy. The things that I personally like to do and find helpful are always getting out in nature as much as we can do here in the UK when it's not raining. Um, (laughs) But, you know, spending time out in nature, walking, the physical act of walking can be so helpful for um, anxiety and stress. Because just as we talked about at the beginning, really, when your nervous system's kind of stuck in a fight or flight, one of the things that really can help is almost flighting in some ways doing a bit of exercise running running it off kind of letting it out of your nervous system so that can be really helpful um personally i love to do kind of meditations visualizations things like that i find them really helpful and i always recommend giving them a go to people you can just type meditations or mindfulness into youtube and get hundreds of videos to choose from um and give them a go. They're really helpful, I think. That's great. Well, if anybody's listening to this today and they have taken on the responsibility of guiding their team through this, then they would be wise to listen because you'll, it's kind of like we say in HR Oxygen podcast, you know, make sure your mask is on your face before assisting others, right? And you're on the airplane and the oxygen mask will drop down. Absolutely. So, so you are advocating good self-care. Well, Natasha, this has been really helpful. If any listeners have questions, is there a way they can reach out to you? Yeah, you can uh, get me on my website, which is natashafletchertherapy.co.uk. Or you can find me on Instagram at Natasha Fletcher Therapies or on Facebook at Natasha Fletcher Therapies as well. Beautiful. Well, Natasha, thank you for taking time to chat with us. And it's just, it's, it's really helpful to hear from someone who actually sees some hope and has a positive message and one that is actually very encouraging. So thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. No problem. Thank you so much for your time, Mac. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.